Well, good morning, church, and happy birthday. Man, oh man, it's so good to see you this morning. Uh, If you're new with us, uh, you might be thinking, huh, a birthday party I didn't know I was invited to. We're glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're spending some time with us. My name is Journey, and it's my privilege to be the pastor here. And uh, man, I remember three years ago when we opened the doors of our church and uh, we had a, a group of uh, adults that were serving and it was kind of amazing. There's no way that I could have ever have predicted um, what God would do on the first day. Um, and we had uh, so many people walking through the front door. I literally remember uh, a couple of our volunteers standing just behind me. I was standing by the front doors just behind me and their mouths were like, they're like cockroaches. Where are they coming from? And I was like, well, let's not call them cockroaches. Let's, let's go say hi to them. <laughs> and so man, it's, it's just amazing. It's um, honestly, it's humbling. Um, it's humbling to be a part of what God is doing here. And um, man, I'll tell you that um, second to my relationship with Jesus, third to my relationship with my wife, fourth to my relationship with my kids, um, this is the best thing in my life. And, and not this as in like the church, but you. And I'm so thankful to be your pastor. I'm so thankful that you're here and um, and it's just crazy. We, we, we never could have imagined on the first day what would happen. And we certainly could not have imagined what would have happened over the last 18 months. I don't think anybody could have, um, but we've seen a lot of craziness. We've been through a lot together. And I, I don't know, this might be good news for you. Um, this might be bad news. The next thing I'm getting ready to say might be the thing that might cause you to stand up and walk out and go, deuces, I'm never coming back here. And I love saying things like that because people get real nervous because sometimes I say things I probably shouldn't say, but I, you know, I am the pastor, so, and I have the microphone, so. Uh, listen, this is either gonna be really good news for you or really bad news for you, but if you're looking for a perfect church, you've not found it. And if you're looking for a perfect pastor, congratulations, I'm not him. <laughs> Let me tell you what you have found, though. You found a, a place with real people that have some real problems, that have begun to realize that there's real hope in Jesus. And uh, man, I'm just glad. I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful for what he's doing. I'm thankful that you're with us. Um, you know, when I, when I think about um, birthdays, it's a time of celebration. We are celebrating today. And uh, as a pastor, as a leader, um, if, you, uh, if you are a leader um, and are responsible for motivating people, um, or if you work for a leader uh, that is responsible for motivating people, you'll know that one of the best things in every leader's playbook is to come and talk about the big, great, awesome, amazing thing, the milestone, the, 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 the huge metric that was accomplished, the project that was launched, the, the sales numbers, and man, everything is just going so great. And, 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 and leaders really like to do that. That's a great tool in a leader's arsenal to talk about the amazing things that are happening. And as a pastor, um, it's, it's one of the great things to talk about the amazing things that God is doing. But here's one of the things that the last year has taught me, that sometimes it's not the celebration of the big, awesome, amazing, flashy, shiny, beautiful things that are the greatest evidence of God's power and God's love and God's grace. Sometimes the greatest evidence of God's love and God's power and God's grace is how sure of an anchor he is to help you weather the storms of life. 
And I just feel like as a, as a, like a race of people, we have been through some stuff. Can I get an amen? You don't even have to believe in Jesus to say amen to that. And we've been through some stuff and, and there's been a lot of things that we've gone through. Um, but what I have begun to learn for me is that God has just revealed himself as such an immovable anchor. I want to talk about that a little bit today um, because the truth is, is that all of us have, have, have gone through a lot. There's been some, some things that we've had to learn to get by. There's been a lot of things taken from us. All right, and relax, I'm not gonna talk about tyranny or anything like that. And just in general, with everything that's happened in the last 18 months, there's been a lot of things that have, that have been taken from us that have upset the apple cart of so many things. Um, our relationships, our rhythms of work and school have changed. Our, our rhythms of shopping and vacation, amen, have changed. Um, our, our, our rhythm of um, going to the grocery store and how we do that has changed. Um, the need for, uh, for help um, for our mental uh, situation and our mental health has increased exponentially. Relationships have become to get fractured and broken over things that you never thought you would have been arguing or debating about. For a lot of us, our financial situation has, has been adjusted and changed. There's just been a lot of change. There's been a lot of things taken from us today. And in the reality and in, in response to a lot of the things that have happened over the last 18 months, I just have a feeling that a lot of us are probably have arrived today with a sense of feeling tired exhausted. Maybe, maybe you're here and you're frustrated. Maybe the things of the last year and a half have, have brought you into this place, into this space today, and you're angry. Or maybe you're scared. But I think what is universal is I have been praying about this and praying about where we are and God, what, what do I bring and, and how do I, how, what do I do on our third birthday? Because it is a celebration, but it's also, it's also a very heavy time. And I think that perhaps one of the things that is probably most universal, it's not that we're divided or not that we're unsettled. I believe that perhaps the thing that we all feel that is most universal is just uninspired. That thing after thing after thing over the last year and a half has just led us to a point today where we just feel uninspired. I'm just gonna tell you, I'm gonna keep it real today. I hope it's okay if we can keep it real in the church house today. But I'm gonna keep it real today because if we're not, we're just faking and we're just lying and we're just deceiving ourselves. Everything is not okay. And I'm just wondering today, Am I the only one that feels this way? I ran across some verses from King David, uh, one of the most famous people in the Old Testament. And, and actually, uh, we're gonna read these verses today and, and I'm asking the question, am I the only one? Because that's the title of the message today, am I the only one? And I'm gonna read some verses, maybe they resonate with you and maybe I'm the only one that they resonate with. But Psalm 69 verse one says this, this is David writing, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. And I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry and my eyes fail while I wait 
for my God. And I read this this week and I thought, oh man, do I ever feel that? As I have worked through and, and, and labored over so many of the things that have happened over the last 18 months, and as Jessica and I have labored over decisions about how we're going to do things as a family, what are we going to do with our kids, um, how are we going to interact and connect and engage with, with neighbors and friends and family. As a pastor, I've labored and prayed, God, what is the best decision? What is the right decision for us to do as a church? As I've looked across and processed what's going across our country, as I, as I see people and know people who have been weeping and mourning and grieving the loss of someone that they deeply love, and as I look across the news media and I see image after image after image of riots and people shouting and things burning and buildings being broken into, I feel what King David is talking about, that I feel like I've just sunk into the deep mire, that there is no standing, that the, that the weight and the flood of it all is just too much for me, and it's overwhelming. God, I, my throat is parched and dry, and my eyes can't see anymore how you can bring any good from any of this. And I'm just wondering, am I the only one? Perhaps what David writes in Psalm chapter three will resonate because it does with me in verse one. He says, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Man, I feel this. Because everybody has an opinion about what's been happening. And if you don't 100%, disag uh, if you don't 100 agree with me, then you are 100% stupid. Jessica and I have processed what are we going to do about masks and vaccines? What are we going to do with our kids? We got family that don't agree with the decisions that we've made. We have friends that have made decisions different than what we've made. As we've made decisions about what we're going to do with our church, woo! been a lot of people who don't agree with the decisions that we've been making. As I look broader and see beyond just my personal situation, I see situation after situation after situation where family relationships have become frozen or fractured because what you agree 98% on is no longer the thing that we can find unity on. It's the 2% that we disagree on that causes us to no longer be able to be in the same room with one another. It just seems that no matter what we do, what we think, what decision we make, what we feel is right deep in our guts, that every decision is met with an onslaught of people who just rise up against us. And I'm just wondering today, am I the only one? Here's what I've noticed. I've noticed that, that a lot of us, if we're being honest, we're kind of just going through the motions of life at this point. I don't mean that critically or negatively or anything like that. I just mean very literally that 
that because of the things of the last 18 months, it's, it's like every social media post that we've seen, every news headline, every, every time these things have gotten brought up again, whether it's po- political or, or coronavirus or race relations or, or any of those things, that every single time we see one of those things, it's like one more little paper cut and one more little paper cut and one more little paper cut. And here we are 18 months later after having endured this and all of the inspiration and all of the passion has just bled out of us. As I talk to business leaders in our church and in our community and I ask them what they see from their teams and their employees, what I have heard consistently is, is I see my people, they're here, they're working, they're doing things, they're busy, but they're not doing the things that are most important. It's like everything that we've been taught over the last 18 months has deprogrammed us from the things that gave us the passion for life. It's like we're all kind of walking around like zombies. We're alive, but we're not really living. That we can stand and we can talk and we can walk and we can, we can technically check the box that today I lived, but, but so many of us seems like we're walking with the void of having life in us. I, I don't know, man, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just the only one. And when I think about Jesus' followers, the people who who follow Jesus and proclaim to be a child of his, I've seen so many of us, myself included, that, that the torrential downpour of all of the stuff that's been coming from society and from the culture and the events of the last 18 months, it's just been like one downpour after another that is, that is successively putting a little bit more of a damper, a little bit more of a damper, a little bit more of a damper on the fire that burns within us. And for some of us, if we're being completely honest today, Day, that fire has been extinguished. And I'm just wondering, am I the only one? Jessica and I have had so many conversations over the last year of things that have been everywhere from fear to anger to sadness to brokenness. In some ways, this last 18 months has been some of the best times in our marriage, and that sometimes it's been some of the worst times of our marriage. Listen, let me tell you something. There's nothing like preaching a message about marriage and then God within just a couple of hours giving the preacher man an opportunity to practice what he preaches. And I'm thankful that I'm married to a woman who doesn't say, why don't you practice what you've been preaching? But can I just tell you that there's been times in the last 18 months where I've opened my Bible and I've read verses like James chapter five and verse 16, when it says that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. This word fervent, by the way, means an ardent, warm-hearted enthusiasm with intensity of emotion. And I've read that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. If being honest, I've had a lot of moments where my prayers have been anything but that. 
Or I go to Colossians chapter three, verse 23, and it says, in whatever you do, do it heartily. This word heartily is an interesting word because it's talking about, it, what it references is, is like the source or the seat of your emotions, where your emotions sit, where, where they come from, that your desires and your affections and, and the things that cause aversions, the, the depths of your soul. It says that whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. But I have had so many moments and so many stretches of weeks and days over the last 18 months where my reservoir of heartily doing things is just empty. Or I read in Matthew chapter 22 when Jesus says in verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment and the second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I know that what Jesus is calling for here, he's saying, listen, I want a full-hearted devotion. I want everything. I want all you got. I want your whole heart. But when I survey the last 18 months, I've had so many moments where the best I could muster at best is a half-hearted devotion. And I'm just wondering today, am I the only one? And I have a feeling that I'm not. I have a feeling that maybe you've been feeling this for a while. I have a feeling that maybe there's there's a man or a woman in the room today that, that has been feeling this uninspired feeling and it's carried over to the way that you approach work. It carries over to the way that you approach relationships. Hey, can I just be real honest? It's carried over to the way that we engage with our children. And I'm going to be willing to bet that there's been a moment at some point in the last 18 months, if you're a parent, that you have felt guilty because you want to be anywhere but in the presence of your kids, not because you don't love them, but because you don't have anything left. Maybe I'm the only one, but I just feel like we as a people, inspiration has been bled from us and passion has been extinguished. And if you're here and you're like, man, you crazy, what you talking about? Woo, life is awesome. We just wanna know what you're drinking where we can buy it in mass quantity. So on our third birthday, we're starting a new series that we're calling Firestarter. And the point of this series is to try to teach you how to ignite the passion for life again. My hope is that for anyone who's here that feels like the, the, the passion, the inspiration, that fire that used to maybe burn somewhere deep in your soul that got extinguished, my hope is that I can show you through God's word 
How God's desire when he talked about in John chapter 10 and verse 10 that we would have life and have it more abundantly or have it to the fullest. That God wants us to understand that, that he wants us to live a life that is, that is described as one of passion, purpose. And then we're gonna see some things in his words as we walk through this. They're gonna help us to rekindle the fire. We're gonna see that the potential of what God is going to teach us over these next several weeks is not not just to have a, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Not gonna let the devil blow it out. No, I'm gonna let it shine. But actually the potential of what God has for us is not just a little light, but a raging wildfire. And what I wanted to do today and want to start today by just giving you kind of a couple, couple things. There's got to be preparation. If you're going to start a fire, you got to prepare, you got to get the stuff ready, right? And so what I want to do today is I want to give you three things to do to kind of prepare the process And the first thing that I think that we've got to do today, first thing that I think that we've got to understand, the first thing that I believe that we have to to contextualize in our mind that despite what we perhaps have been led to believe, despite what we've been led to think about Jesus or church or the Bible, that it's okay to be honest and it's okay to admit it. It's okay today for us to be able to just be honest and go, man, yep, that's me. To be more clear, I'm not the woo, life is awesome person. I'm the person that's kind of like the zombie, just kind of going through the motions. I'm the person who feels the uninspired. I'm the person that feels like the passion has been snuffed out. And it's okay, and I would even go so far as to say that it's necessary that we admit it. One of the popular quotes in in recovery and rehabilitation programs is that the first step to overcoming a problem is what? Admitting that you have a problem. It's okay to admit it. In fact, one of the things that I hope to be woven into the fabric of our church would be really something that would be kind of the antithesis of what a lot of people's expression or experience of church is, where, where we go into church and we talk, hey, brother, news, weather, sports. What's going on, sister? News, weather, sports. That that's, that's the extent of our conversation. We, we wear our masks and we, we put up our facades and we, we, put our, we put our church face on with our Sunday best and we walk in and we try to let everybody know, I'm okay, are you okay? Good, we're all okay. Praise the Lord, everybody's okay. And then we get in the car and we feel the weight of just how not okay we are. Can I just tell you, there's nothing useful in that. One of our core values as a church is keep it real. Jessica sometimes gets mad at me because sometimes I keep it too real. I was telling a story the other day with family and as we were leaving, she said, every time you tell that story, it makes me feel so uneasy on the inside. To which I go, (laughs) 
In case there's any confusion, what I mean by keep it real, here's, here's how we define this, that we won't bow at the altar of image because we do that, right? Like because we want to keep appearances, we want to make sure that people see us in a certain light, that we want people to think certain things about us and associate certain things with us. When, when our name or our image comes into their mind, we want to associate certain things. That's the altar of image that we worship. And we're not going to bow at the altar of image and we're not going to hide our scars. And can I just tell you, some of us, the, the, part of the power of the gospel of Jesus is that he doesn't just, he doesn't just save us from, from, from the things that happen. He actually brings healing to those things that happen. And the scars are not, should not be a source of shame, but should be a source of grace and a recognition that every single one of my scars tells a story, not of the failures of my past, but on the goodness of my God. Because the Bible says that God demonstrated his love towards us, that while we were still sinners, while we were still doing the thing that caused the wound, Jesus loved us and he met us in that place and he brought healing and restoration to us in that place and the wound that was healed and the scar now is the story that I tell that I'm not perfect, I never knew or thought I was perfect, but I've met Jesus who is and let me show you through my scars and let me tell you the story about how good my God actually is. You don't have to get yourself cleaned up and get everything right before you come to Jesus. Man, bring all of that mess to him and you're gonna find he's so good, he'll meet you right where you are and go, let me help you with that. And we're not gonna live behind masks. Talked about that. It's my Sunday mask. Looks so good. As soon as we get in the car, we'll take it off. We're not gonna live behind masks. Instead, here's what we're gonna do. We are willing to risk rejection. I'm willing to show you who I really am so that when you decide to love me, you love the real me, not the fake facade porcelain image of me that I have presented to you, in which case, when you love that image of me, I don't actually get to feel that love because that's not loving who I really am. You're loving the caricature that I have created for you to love. And I'm willing to, to let go of that. I'm willing for you to reject me all for the sake of being accepted for who I am and experiencing the healing that comes through God's love being poured through other people, seeing me in my woundedness. We've got to get to a point where we can keep it real. And so if you're here today and you feel upset or angry or broken or sad or afraid, or uninspired, man, it's okay to admit that today. Here's the second thing that I think that we need to understand. We need to be proactive. I've never seen a campfire start itself, which is really unfortunate because I am a terrible fire starter. I cannot tell you how many times it's been like, oh, let's get a fire going on the back, in the backyard. We can roast some hot dogs and some s'mores. And every time that conversation comes up, I think, man, that sounds great. <laughs> Give me an hour. 
I literally wonder like, how many years off my children's life would be taken if I started this with a gallon of gas? <laughs> like if they just ate the, fi- the hot dog over, you know what I mean? Maybe you remember this from our summer series, Kingdom Manifesto, Matthew chapter seven. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Why? Because everyone who asks uh, receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Jesus is teaching us that passiveness is not rewarded in the kingdom of God. We gotta be proactive. We've gotta take action. What does that look like? I think there's a couple things for us to think about. Number one, We need to seek Jesus, proactively seek Jesus. And I'm not talking about the Jesus, you know, I hope to experience you in church today. Or not the Jesus, I need your help. The world is crashing down around me. I done made a mistake and I did that thing and I need you to do that thing where you make it okay. If you're a teenager in the house, that's what it looks like when you find out, hello kids, pop test, pop quiz. And you think, oh dear Lord, please help me remember all the things that I didn't read last night that I was supposed to. Multiple choice. I'm gonna pick C on every one of them because C is the first letter of Jesus's last name. (laughs) Can't go wrong. I'm talking about seeking Jesus in the kind of way where you just stop what you're doing and you just cry out to God for a moment. You open yourself up and say, God, I'm desperate for you. I'm not not necessarily desperate for you to do something for me. I'm just desperate for your presence. I'm desperate to hear your voice. I'm desperate to just know that the promises of your word, when you said that you would be a friend that would stick closer than a brother, when you said you would never leave me or forsake me, when you said when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned because I'm gonna be there with you. God, I'm desperate to know right now in this moment that you're with me. I need to know, Jesus, I'm desperate for you. And can I just say, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this, this right here is the first step. And if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're in good company. There's others here. And for those that do, we were all in a situation where we once did not. And we came to the end of ourselves and realized the best hope, the best chance that we have is not found in myself or trying to figure out the right answer myself, but it's found in Jesus. The second thing we need to do is we need to seek a godly vision for your life. Let me ask you this. Have you ever, you ever asked God for what his plan or what his vision or what his will for your life is? When you wake up in the morning, do you have confidence knowing that your business, your profession, your place of work, what you do in the home, what you do with your kids, what you do with your spouse, what you do with your singleness, do you have a confidence when you wake up in the morning that I know why I'm here? Therefore, everything I do today has meaning. Therefore, today will not be a waste. We need, to, we need to seek God and we need to seek a, a godly vision for our life. Can I tell you, this is the reason why we've created what we call our Next Steps course, which is gonna be launching again here in just a couple of weeks. Go to our website, check in. If you're new to our church, if you're new to following Jesus, or if you're just curious what it means to follow Jesus, this is a great next step for you as we walk with you to help you begin to connect the dots of why am I here? 
we want to help you with that. And the next thing I think that we need to do, if, if, we've, if we're seeking Jesus and if we're, we're seeking a, a, his wisdom and, and his direction and his plan, his vision for our life, then I think that we also need to do is we need to seek new God-sized goals. Can I tell you, this is where Jessica and I are right now. Again, I told you I'm gonna keep it real today. Jessica and I are at a really interesting place where we've come to the realization over the last couple of months that we don't have any real goals in front of us. That, that up to this point in our life, all of the big God-sized things, the things where we go, oh, huh, ooh. If God doesn't show up when we try that, we are toast. Every single one of those types of goals have been naturally occurring. I had a, had a goal of, 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 of getting a job in ministry and it happened. I had a goal of getting married and we did. We had a, a goal of just finishing college and getting a job and she did. And we had the goal of, of having kids and we did. And then we had all of these ministry goals as I was, I spent 12 years working in, in student ministry and these dreams and ideas and visions and passions of things. And, and, and God put those goals in front of us and, and we saw God do those things and bring those things that seemed impossible when we started but God did it anyway because we were following him. And, and, and now we're in, you know, when we launched the church, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. We started this church, that's awesome. But now we're kind of in this interesting place where it's like the next big naturally occurring goals are either our 20 year anniversary, which is six years away, or when the kids get out of the house. Someday. I'm teasing. I love my, I do love my kids. But come on, don't act like I'm the only one that's ever thought that. <laughs> and so listen, Jessica and I, this next weekend, here's what we're doing. We're going to get away for an overnight. We're going to go celebrate our anniversary, which we had last month, but didn't get a chance to celebrate it. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to spend some time on our face and say, God, would you give us a God-sized goal? something in our lives. Certainly some of it's going to be practical, financial, fitness, that kind of stuff. But God, what's the God-sized goal that would move the needle for the kingdom of God that we could orient and focus our lives on so that we don't spend weekend after weekend after weekend going, well, what do you want to do? I don't know what you want to do. Or we get to the end of a, of a busy week and we flop down on the couch and go, oh my gosh, that we're so busy this week. And you look back and you go, man, we were really busy taking steps to nowhere. Not saying it's bad to rest, we need to rest. I'm just saying that when we don't have God-sized goals in our life, what happens is that we, we lose the permission to dream again. And I believe what God wants to say to somebody today is that he wants to give you permission to dream God-sized dreams again. Because if we don't have those God-sized dreams, what happens is, is when we get caught in the deep, muddy ruts of life, then we don't have anything to propel us out of them. And we just keep churning our wheels and we just keep getting more and more exhausted and more and more tired. So we've got to be proactive. We've got, to, we've got to seek out the kind of goals that make us uncomfortable. The type of goals that are bathed in prayer and say, God, what would you have us to do? And then get after it. And so after we've 
made the preparation to, to seek Jesus and after we've made the, the preparation to, to seek a godly um, uh, vision for our lives, then the last step of preparation is we have to understand that we need to follow the steps. Just like there's a process to starting a fire, there's a process to igniting the passion in our lives again. And what we're gonna do in this series is we're gonna use the Bible as our handbook and we're gonna look at the first church as our example. And I'm gonna do my level best to be your guide to teach you how, according to God's word, how to start the fire again. And I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but there's a lot of similarities between the first church and our church. And not just our church, but just where we are as a society today. Once you check out what, what it says in John chapter 20, verse 19, it says this, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. So what's happening here is Jesus has died on the cross. The Jews have gone into hiding. They're quarantining. They're literally afraid of the other Jews who accuse Jesus of blasphemy and the other Jews are the ones who, who beg for the Romans to crucify Jesus. And so now here they are, they're in quarantine because they're afraid to be around anybody. They're afraid about what might happen. They're afraid of being associated with the wrong group of people. And what happens is, is it says this, and Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said, peace be with you. Now, for clarity, the reason why Jesus had to say, peace be with you, is because these disciples were in a closed room and the dude they saw die walked into it without opening a door. it would be kind of like being at a funeral and then all of a sudden somebody knocks on the casket but not from the outside, from the inside. And then the door opens and they sit up and go, what y'all doing? And then they look at you and say, I ain't seen you dress that nice in a long time. Peace be with you, because people were freaking out. And what happens is in the first church is they were motivated and inspired by a life-changing moment. In their case, it was seeing Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, resurrected from the grave, just like he told them that he would. And what happened in the first century, that these first Christians, the first church, that this, this whole process, it ignited a spark inside of them that bursted into a flame that was fueled by the right fuel that eventually turned into a wildfire so much that on eight different occasions in the book of Acts, it says that scores of people, sometimes it says thousands, sometimes it says several, but on eight different occasions, it says, and many were added to their number. And listen, this isn't a church growth thing. That's 
That's not the point of this message series. The point of this message series is to help you see that there are things that happen with the first church. There are things that God prescribed for them to do that they followed, they did. And when they did, it ignited a flame so much so that people who used to hate them decided to join them even though it meant that they are probably going to be persecuted by the rest of the Jews and the government, but also knowing that it would likely lead to them to lose their life. What kind of passion causes people who hate you to radically change their direction? Well, we're gonna learn about it. And I'm gonna teach you how to do it, but, but you're gonna have to come back next week for me to show you. I'm gonna close today with this. That what we're gonna see are principles that are gonna be transferred that, that will start this fire inside of you. It'll reignite that flame, it'll reignite that passion. And I'm going to tell you in advance that studying this and seeing these steps that God has prescribed for his people, that the process of taking these steps to ignite this passion might feel burdensome. It might feel overwhelming and you might hear it and go, I don't want to do that. And it will be very similar to that feeling that you get when you know you need to go to the gym. And as you're halfway through the donut... You take a swig of your whole milk. I'm sorry, that's not cool anymore. Oat milk. (laughs) And go, I should stop doing this. And as you turn and look at the empty pizza box, you go, you know, nah, just stay right here. Can I just tell you, it's going to feel like that. You know, last week at our gym, we had um, uh, some, some really intense workouts and I was like crazy, crazy sore. And I got to Friday and I woke up and I, and I had that, I don't know if you've ever felt this before. The best way I can explain it, um, I'm not, obviously you're going to learn how much of a medical doctor I am in just a moment. Um, a feeling that I could best describe as like an anxious feeling in my muscles I wasn't anxious, I wasn't nervous, but like I just kind of had that feeling. And, and a lot of times when I have that feeling, I'll, I'll roll over to Jess and be like, oh, I'm not going to work out today. Oh, I'm so, so, oh. What are you gonna do? I'm gonna go get a donut. That's what I'm gonna do. Give me something. And um, man, can I tell you, every time that, I, every time that I've, when I feel that way and I choose to not go exercise, can I tell you that my body pays the price for that for the rest of the day and into the next? Because for the rest of the day, I keep feeling that sore, achy, anxious thing. And then I lay down thinking like, it's the end of the day, I'm gonna lay down, I'm gonna sleep, thinking that, man, I just need to get a good night's sleep. And then I toss and turn all night because my body feels that way. Let me tell you something. There are things that are happening in our world right now that the prescription that God has for you, you're gonna see it and you're gonna go, I don't wanna do that because I'm tired. 
I'm sore. I'm exhausted. That's the last thing that I want to do. But in the same way, when, when, I, when I choose to not go exercise on those days that I pay for it for a while, the same is true for your life as we talk about this. But can I tell you something? On last Friday, I just say, you know what? I'm going to go work out, baby. We're going to go spend some me and you time. We work out together on Fridays and I love it. I love working out with my woman because she is fitter than me and it is embarrassing, but it gives me something to shoot for. And can I tell you something? We left the gym and went to Costco, naturally. (laughs) Samples. And as I was walking towards the gym, I was like, towards Costco, I said, man, you know what? I'm so glad I worked out today. Like, I feel so much better. See, sometimes the thing that we need the most is the thing that we want the least. Ooh, and flip that on its head. I didn't, thank you, Lord. I didn't write this down. I wish I could. God just gave that to me. And not only is the thing that we, we need the most is what we want the least, but can I tell you something that most of the times what we want the most is what we need the least. Ooh, I'm preaching myself happy right now. I can't take credit for that, y'all. Listen, here's what I'm trying to tell you. I'm trying to tell you that if you will follow God's instructions, then you will learn how to ignite the fire in your soul. And over these next four weeks, I'm going to teach you these instructions. I want you to know I'm praying for you because this is hard. Where we are right now as a people, as a culture, is difficult. But I believe with every fiber of my being that the difficulty or the ease of life is not part of God's prescription that determines how good he is. If you're here today and you you know Jesus and you follow Jesus, I believe that, like me, that this is a season where God is rekindling and retooling faith. It's difficult to be in situations where you're, you're trying to lead your family. You're trying to lead your teams, you're trying to lead your kids, you're trying to lead a business. When you're trying to just reach back and grab that extra something that kind of gives you the the punch, the step, and it's just not there. It's hard to be motivated. So much of what you see around you is so unmotivating. God is so good and he loves you so much that he's given us his word. He says, listen, if you'll do these things, I'll teach you how to start that fire. And if you'll do it right, it'll burst out of control in all the best possible ways. 
At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.